0: Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the Talk Witchcraft podcast. In this episode, Maggie and I will be talking about how to practice witchcraft without cultural appropriation. You're listening to Talk Witchcraft. On
1: this podcast, we talk about witchcraft as a lifestyle and discover how to merge magic
0: into your daily life. Every week, we'll demystify witchy topics like tarot, astrology, crystals, herbs, and more as you develop your personal brand of magic and create the life of your dreams. We're We're your your hosts, hosts, the the Mystic Mystic Sisters, Sisters, Erica and Maggie.
1: In this segment of the show, we choose a tarot card for the week and we look for moments that relate to this card in our daily lives. this episode we chose the nine of wands and the theme for this card is whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger so if we look at the card the character seems to have invested a lot of energy into the wands that he's standing in front of whatever those wands may represent and he's going to guard these wands and protect them no matter what so to me this card is about developing tenacity and being scrappy when it comes to reaching goals that you're really passionate about?
0: Yeah, to me, this card is about what it feels like to work really hard for something, especially when you sort of got beat up along the way and faced some hardships. But it's what it feels like to come out on the other side with something to show for your effort. And you've basically faced everything at this point. And so you're ready for anything to come your way. I feel like I talk about my job and my career journey a lot. This card is kind of bringing up my journey of jobs. I've had quite a few. And one of the things that I talk about a lot is finding my forever job and just wanting, having this desire. I think that our generation has kind of lost of that place that you're just at for 50 years. that. You just are part of the daily grind and you have job loyalty and the job has loyalty to you. And I don't think our generation has ever really experienced that sort of nostalgia that older generations have. But my M.O. is basically to stay at a job for two to three years and then move on because I don't I I do get beat up. I get I've had terrible work life experiences. I've had horrible bosses. I just haven't felt in a job that my values were appreciated or I adhered to the priorities of the job I was in. But where I'm at right now, this is that nine of wands, all of my labors have come to fruition. And I'm in a place where I have developed a sense of sticking up for myself, of knowing what's right, of being able to stand up for what I believe in and to have it heard well and received well. I do feel like I have something to show for all of the experience that I've had and feel like it's valued and wanted.
1: Yeah. So it's almost like each of the ones is one of the jobs that you've had and there's stuff to be learned from them. You'll protect that lesson and you may be like a little beat up with a bandage on your head, but Is still a valuable experience because it brought you to where you are. I was thinking this week actually about my witchcraft practice and teaching witchcraft online. And obviously, that's like my career path. I was thinking about how in the past I often had this feeling of like imposter syndrome and feeling like I wasn't allowed to share things because I didn't have enough experience or I didn't have enough like presence or something or people would judge me for saying that I know things enough to teach about it but this week I was like looking at things that I was creating I was creating courses and I was doing reels and Instagram posts and I was just able to write a lot of different things without having to like look up references because I had that experience in my own brain And so it made me feel really confident in all of that experience from the past. Like maybe obviously imposter syndrome is often not accurate and you have, you are an expert, but you feel like you don't deserve to like claim that title. But for the first time, I really felt like I was an expert and I didn't have that like nagging, you shouldn't be doing this because I had that confidence in myself, which is pretty rare. I don't always have that much confidence in myself. So um, that's kind of what I was thinking about with this, was I had the um, experience to back it up. So those were my ones.
0: <laughs> I So I just heard another story similar to yours, where um, you you hear, I'm going to give you a, a phrase that you can use from now on, because okay. I liked it. So she said that she had been on this trajectory of fake it until you make it until she realized that she wasn't having to fake it anymore. And so she said that it was overnight success that took 15 years. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) Overnight success that took 15 years. For me, it was like seven. I'm on my seventh year, I think, of doing this. And I I don't like to say, I don't think that I was ever faking it until I make it, but it was sort of like that. Like I, yeah. it was more like faking confidence until I actually felt the confidence.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: But uh so, yeah, I guess the, each of the ones in the back and like me being beat up was more about me beating myself up about it <laughs> mm-hmm. sure. and then having the realization that I don't have to beat myself up anymore. Because here's all these ones that I've created for myself <laughs> to back mm-hmm. me up. So. yeah. So let's move on to our topic for the week. As Erica mentioned, we are talking about how to practice witchcraft without cultural appropriation. And what what's really cool is that there are witches everywhere. We see them all over the place. And this rise of popularity in practicing witchcraft is cool in a way, but it's also sort of not so cool it's there's like a bittersweet aspect to this because in some ways i love that people are connecting to their witchy side i think calling yourself a witch is really empowering it also makes finding supplies easier and really beautiful tools are more accessible um, less expensive and you know artists can create these things and find a lot of people to buy those tools and materials And it also makes me feel more comfortable to practice witchcraft in public. But on the other hand, I do see a lot of sort of surface level information coming out, especially in like witch talk. It seems like the depth of the witchcraft practice is sort of lacking in these quick sharing mediums. So we're going to talk all about that.
0: Yeah, so we're going to learn what it means to be a witch in the modern world without stealing from other cultures and how you can find your own personal practice of witchcraft. And we'll share tips for learning about the colonialist history of witchcraft and how to avoid practices that aren't for you and how to create rituals and practices for yourself.
1: So here are 10 tips for practicing witchcraft without cultural appropriation. And these are in no particular order, just how we are sharing them. <laughs> so do you want to tell us the first one, Erica?
0: One way to avoid cultural appropriation is to design your own personal practice of witchcraft. And this involves intuitively developing a unique system by making it up as you go along. Right. I think many people assume that
1: a practice or a, um, a way of doing things isn't valid unless it's written down somewhere. You can find it in a book or online or something like that. But everything originates somewhere and it's in someone's mind that it comes from. So why can't that originating place, source of this new practice, be your own brain? And so what I always teach in, in, in Lesson 5 of Witchcraft 101, I talk about this, is to consider your personality, your skills, your interests, your motivations and abilities and where you live and to build your practice around that. Um, So designing your practice around who you are individually.
0: Yeah. And I, I literally just had this thought this morning that I was lamenting that I didn't do witchcraft, right. That I wasn't, I didn't have like Times that I spent in front of the altar, and I didn't, you know, set up these elaborate rituals or do the chants or do all of those things that you you find written down in those books. I don't do that. That's not my practice. And I had to remind myself that one of the things um, that Maggie talks about, and one of the reasons she asked me to join her on the podcast, was to talk about the magic in the mundane, and my witchcraft practice comes from all of the little things that I do every single day that I put magic and intention into. Yeah. So it does like, that's, that's my intuitive development of a a system for myself.
1: Exactly. And so, You're definitely not stealing someone's culture or doing cultural appropriation if you're just, you know, making it up yourself. It's coming from your own brain and you're just doing, you're just living your life and putting your intention into those actions. Right. Which brings us to the second way to avoid cultural appropriation, which is pretty obvious, but it's basically to not steal from cultures that you don't belong to, to not take practices from cultures that are close to you, that those practices aren't for you. And so it's really important to root your practice in your own cultural heritage if you want to have that kind of ancestral tone to your practice. And this makes it so that you're not perpetuating those damaging attitudes of imperialists of the past.
0: And I think one of the things that raises people's hackles when they hear cultural appropriation is that there's such a fine line between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation. And most of the time, if our intentions are good, we're practicing cultural appreciation, but we do have to watch it. There's also a fine line between the boundaries of a closed practice and gatekeeping and many witchcraft traditions are founded in the idea that magic is everywhere and for everyone. And at the same time, certain cultural traditions are explicitly for the descendant of a cultural heritage. So we have to, we have to know where those boundaries are and we have to respect them. And the best way to do that is to ask questions.
1: Yeah. Because, you know, there are some people who do, gatekeeping where it's like if you aren't born into a witch's bloodline then you can't practice magic that's just trying to keep people out for no real reason right but then there are closed practices hoodoo for example is only for people who are descendants from slaves from american colonies so it's specifically for black people in america and if you're not part of that group then it's probably best that you don't participate in hoodoo practices.
0: And I, there's been a, a little discussion happening on my Facebook page uh, amongst my Jewish friends, because Hanukkah's right now, um, that I've been watching and not participating in, because I'm not Jewish, about whether or not non-Jewish people should be putting menorahs up right now. And some, some of my friends are saying, yeah, that's great because it brings awareness of it and it brings a normal see to it. And it, it's less ostracizing for a Jewish family to see it around more often. And then other people also of Jewish upbringings are saying, no, the menorah is ours. It is a part of our spiritual practice. And by having a non-Jewish person put it up, it's perpetuating the myth that Hanukkah is just Jewish Christmas, which it's not. And so it's it it really comes down to that question. You just ask 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 a person of the culture what they think of it, and respect their answer.
1: Yeah, and that sort of that also um, brings to mind the concept that. Not everybody in a cultural group believes the same way. It's mm-hmm. not a monolith. So you can have one Jewish person who says, no, don't put up a menorah. And one Jewish person who says, yes, that's great. And uh, that's true for for all traditions, I'm sure. Yeah. So I think
0: every single culture can have the, if you ask 10 blanks what their opinion are, is, you'll get 10 different answers. Right. Another way to avoid cultural appropriation is to connect with your spirituality in your own way. Ask yourself what you believe about all the big questions. What happens after we die? Does evil exist? What is the meaning of life? And we will have an episode about that next week.
1: Yeah, so we'll definitely talk about this more. But for now, one thing I love about practicing witchcraft is that it gives me the freedom to explore my spiritual beliefs and they aren't tethered to some sort of dogma from a specific religion or tradition.
0: So before we talk about the remaining seven ways to avoid cultural appropriation let's talk about the herb of the week.
1: This episode is brought to you by anise. So as usual Erica will be telling you about the medicinal properties and then I will share the magical properties.
0: The botanical name for anise is Pimpinella anisum and Maggie and I just had a long conversation about the difference between anise and star anise and what we found is that common anise comes from the plant Pimpinella anisum and is botanically related to dill, cumin, fennel, and caraway. Star anise is the star-shaped fruit of a tree that is a member of the magnolia family. They both have the licorice flavors though. So for the medicinal uses, the actions for anise, that they are an analgesic, anticonvulsant, antifungal, antimicrobial. They're an antioxidant and antispasmodic, as well as antiviral. They are an aromatic and a disinfectant. They can also be used as a carminative, a diuretic, an emollient, an expectorant, or a galactagogue, which makes me think of space. (laughs) (laughs) They taste very sweet and pungent. It has a little bit of spice to it. It has that fennel taste to it, that licorice flavor. I know a lot of people who can pick it out almost immediately. It's got such a distinctive taste. There are some sustainability issues related to anise. It's uh, very picky when it comes to its growing conditions. And so it is very sensitive to colder temperatures and requires about 120 to 130 frost free days to grow. And it likes temperatures from about 54 to 64 degrees Fahrenheit. Any sort of sudden changes in temperature can disturb the growth patterns of this plant. So it really likes to be subtropical and in temperate climate zone, zones. So just something to be aware of if you're trying to grow it yourself, that it's a little picky. You can take it in a tincture or in an effusion of tea, or you can use um, the dry seed to grind up and take as a supplement, or in pill form. It's pretty great for all sorts of different ailments. It's good for digestion. It's good for helping any sort of respiratory illnesses. That very pungent smell is good for breaking up mucus in the lungs. It's good for stress and anxiety. It's helpful for the liver and the gallbladder. For the magical properties of seed. it corresponds
1: with active energy, the planets Jupiter, the sun, and Venus. It is a fire herb and it corresponds with Scorpio and Sagittarius, as well as the gods Mercury and Apollo. So for the most part, this herb can be used for protection and for banishing and purification and for bringing about happiness and harmony. So a couple of different ways to try using this herb. You can carry it in a charm bag to ward off curses and hexes. You could... Fill a sleep pillow with anise seed to prevent any sort of disturbing dreams. So those are those protective uses. You could also add anise seed to a purification bath, especially with bay leaves. Those work well together. When it comes to using the plant, you could use a sprig of anise and hang it over your doorway or near your bed for both of those same uses for protection and for kind of warding off negativity or things you don't want around you. It can also be used as an incense while meditating to keep you protected. And in terms of kitchen witchcraft, when used in that way, one popular use is to bake it into a cake that is served at a wedding or a hand fasting ceremony
0: to encourage happiness and harmony between the couple. So now we'll go back to our main topic for the week. And another way to practice witchcraft without stealing from another culture is to remember the core value of these practices. Most witchcraft traditions originate from our deep connection to the natural world and our place in the universe. Right. I think
1: many witches get lost in replicating those established traditions and mimicking a specific aesthetic that they sort of lose sight of this. Uh, The reason that, The practice exists at all, which is in connection with the earth and bringing yourself into alignment with those rhythms like the moon phases and the seasonal changes and, you know, just living in nature in general.
0: Yeah, so if we're not, if we forget all of the rigmarole and the dogma that we think is supposed to be there. And just remember that the entire point is to embolden ourselves and to better ourselves through connection to nature and the world at large around us. And just hold on to that, then you don't as much run the risk of appropriating someone else's culture.
1: And you can also avoid cultural appropriation by researching the depth and the origin of the traditions. As I mentioned before, we exist in this modern world of, you know, quick videos on TikTok and with Reels on Instagram and now Shorts on YouTube And these really short captions that you can't really express the full depth of these practices. So it's really hard for creators to share that nuance. In addition to that, aesthetically pleasing images are more likely to reach more people, but they might not be able to have the adequate information by focusing on the aesthetic of it.
0: So yeah, whenever you learn about a new practice, take time to research it more before engaging it so that you understand it from all the different angles. Where does it come from? why is it practiced, who is involved, what is needed, you know, how it, how it's done all of these, you know, who, what, where, when, why of a practice, because it's, you know, it's nice to be like, Oh, that see, that looks like a really cool ritual. Uh, I'm just going to do that. But in order to better yourself, as I mentioned earlier, the whole point is to learn. The whole point is to understand and embrace What is going on in the world around us? And so, by learning more about it, you can say, like, oh, yeah, this is a really cool practice, and I'm going to continue doing it. Or, this is a really cool practice, but it's not for me.
1: Yes, that's an important thing because you might learn that through investigating further. And the other piece of this is spells that are pre written and rituals that are written down. If you don't understand why you're using tiger's eye or why you need to crush the herbs first or what, The reason is behind this procedure. It doesn't have as much meaning. So just understanding all of the different steps that you're taking and why you're doing that thing, why it was written that way. And if you want to adjust it, you know, that's going to give you the depth of it as well, because you understand The reasoning, rather than just you know going through the motions,
0: it helps you too with that learning process as well of being like, oh man, I don't have any anise with me right now, but I know that it's good for protection, so I can use X, Y, or Z herb as a supplement because they also represent protection, and that that just strengthens your practice in general is being able to make those switches. Quickly and knowing that why you're doing that.
1: Things that you have on hand, like if you, we'll talk about it um, more later, but just like growing things and things that grow around you, collecting those things and knowing substitutes for like local herbs and rocks versus things that you would have to get from somewhere else. So that does bring us to the next one.
0: You can be, respectful, be a respectful witch by sourcing your tools and materials ethically. An increase in demand for witchy tools and materials results in the exploitation of the environment and the people.
1: So if you do grow your own herbs or go rock hunting in your area, not needing to get these really rare stones and endangered plants, you can be a lot more respectful of the earth and also the laborers and the people who are mining or harvesting these plants. So if you purchase your tools and materials, you can look to buy from small businesses and particularly local people and people who are of a culture that you know grows that plant and looks at it in a sacred way instead of going to a large corporation. And
0: another part of that too is, you know, Palo Santo is a wood and resin that is a really great energy cleanser and is starting to become endangered because it's only grown in the areas around Peru. And so it's hard to be like, but I just, I want the best. I want the thing that's always been used. But there's so many alternatives to that that smell just as good and are just as good energy cleansers that you're not running the risk of invading somebody else's culture or endangering the planet even further. And, you know, so like a great example, a great alternative for Palo Santo would be um, cedar or pine or any sort of like strong smelling basil or bay leaves. All of those things are really good for cleansing energy, but aren't endangering our planet.
1: Right. Yeah, it's not an endangered plant, and the people who harvest it aren't exploited for their labor and not being paid fairly. So yeah, you can, like I said, you can grow your own herbs and rock hunt. And if you do buy these things, then you can and make sure that you ask the people who are selling those things to you what the harvesting practice was for the herbs and the rocks, like whether. Most most rock dealers do have that information like what the mining practices were, if the company restored the earth after the mining operation. If they don't have that information, it might not be a person you want to buy from. What I'm realizing more and more is like there's rocks outside, like it doesn't have to be the most beautiful. I know it's fun to collect crystals and I like I've talked about before. I do have a lot of crystals that I use, but I try more and more to, I haven't bought new crystals in the longest time because I can just go outside and like, I have a whole yard full of rocks that I can just like (laughs) find one that looks nice.
0: (laughs) Well, and like, I have a pine tree right outside. I can go pull off some bark or pull off some needles and then my tree is going to continue to grow. And it's, it'll do the same effect as some of these less sustainable, more rare plants. And there's a the connection that you grew that tree. Like you're caring for that
1: tree. It's got a lot of your own energy in it. So it's powerful in that way too.
0: Moral of the story is if you can buy local or grow yourself, try those, uh, those alternatives first before reaching out for the rare things. So the next way to avoid
1: cultural appropriation and stealing from someone else's culture is to avoid heteronormative ideologies that are based in a gender binary. So a lot of practices, uh, witchcraft practices, originate during the second wave of feminism when a lot of these traditions were designed to reclaim power from the patriarchy. But unfortunately, this really emphasized the straight cis woman and that erased the queer roots of more traditional practices around the world. For many, the image of the lady witch is empowering At the same time, it's important to recognize the history of gender fluid, gender bending, intersex, homosexual, androgynous, and transgender spiritual beliefs. Because these different, like, queer types of spiritual practices often come from the disenfranchised groups of people around the world. And so erasing that is a form of colonialism and a form of white supremacy, So we have to avoid that and to celebrate queerness and celebrate witches of color and different cultural heritages.
0: The next way of avoiding cultural appropriation is to incorporate witchcraft into your activism. The history of witchcraft is rooted in throwing off the oppressive regimes around the world. So continue engaging in spiritual activism to honor that history.
1: So in addition as we've talked about in previous episodes, you know, do the mundane actions, donate to causes that support disenfranchised groups, protest corruption and take political action for progressive change, but uh, in addition to that you can take magical actions such as protection spells for protesters, offering free readings if you are a professional tarot reader or palm reader or something like that. And, um, you know, binding harmful politicians and that kind of thing. There is some clap back with this idea of, you know, sending blessings to protesters instead of actually protesting. And that's why we think it's important to do both. Because because some people say it's sort of like just sending pots and prayers. So it's like the witch equivalent of that. But at the same time, you know, some people aren't comfortable with being in groups of people or don't have the ability to go to those places and protest. And so offering blessings is one way that they can be part of the change and the resistance. And then, you know, doing things that are also accessible to you, like letter writing campaigns or something like that.
0: The way that I remember this part of it is by thinking about all of the women in particular, but also men throughout history who have stood up to oppression and have been killed for it. And um, the, the one that is coming to mind right now for me is, is Jonah Park, constantly being called a witch. In her mind, she was fighting for her Christian God and for, and her visions were of angels sent by God. And regardless of what spiritual entity was sending them to her, she was still a witch and she was still fighting against oppression. Another way to
1: design a practice that is free from appropriation is to be willing to learn and to unlearn witchcraft is not a collection of skills and techniques that you learn and then you're all set. Uh, I talked about this in witchcraft 101 as well, but it's a lifelong commitment and it's you're committing to shaping the practice as you learn. And one important stage of learning is unlearning all the things that you thought were true when you are presented with new information and relearning this new information and incorporating new information with old information. Based on the things that are presented to you,
0: that's tough to do. It is really hard to be able to say, "I didn't know that," and to stop doing that when when it's been something that you've hold it, held as a truth for you know however long you've had it, be it years or months or whatever. I, I definitely have run up against it, and it it creates this almost bratty stubbornness of like, well, that, I mean, it's fine. I can do it. It's not hurting anyone, but being able to take a step back and be like, oh, it is hurting someone and I should stop it. The one that I'm working on right now is I always would say at lunchtime, if there wasn't a chair, I'd say, I'm just going to have a powwow on the floor. And it's like, that is totally not appropriate for me to say and having to stop using that, come up with a new word and then train myself to say the new word. It takes time and it's hard. Research for yourself and approach things with the mind of a beginner and you have more to learn no matter how long you have been practicing.
1: Right. Because like I said, it's lifelong commitment to education. And Eric and I talk about that a lot on the podcast too, that it's constantly learning is one of our values. <laughs> Being open to education is one of our biggest values.
0: And the final way to avoid cultural appropriation is to make a commitment to dismantle the tenets of white supremacy, the patriarchy, and colonial attitudes.
1: And one of the best ways to do this is to follow and listen to Witches of Color. When you learn something, honor that, send financial support, and give credit to the source. So we'll share a list of witches of color that we enjoy following online in the show notes. Just go to mumblesandthings.com/slash blog slash zero four eight.
0: In line with our way of honoring the world and different things around the world and appreciating cultures and not appropriating them we have been celebrating some of the goddesses from around the world this season and so for each goddess we um, will give you a theme to think about that they represent for you to create a ritual or spell, or some sort of intention to invite into your week. And I am choosing from my Legendary Ladies Goddess deck by Anne Shen. And this week we have Sekhmet.
1: It always reminds she, me of, of the Prince of Egypt.
0: I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> All of those names. Yeah, Sekmet. So Sekhmet is the Egyptian goddess of healing. The lioness goddess of destruction and healing Sekhmet shows you the power of breaking things down in order to rebuild them better. It's time to do just that. She'll send you messages in your dreams about what will help you transform during your next evolution. And I think that that's really interesting. The Hindu goddess Kali Mm-hmm. is also the goddess of healing and destruction. And I just like that symbolism of them being the goddesses of both things.
1: Yeah, there's like a trend right now. I've been seeing on Instagram reels of um, the dark feminine. And I see that with both of those goddesses. Of There's, you know, a lot of times people want to focus on the the um, the light feminine, which is the whole toxic positivity, love and light nurturing, um, healing side of the feminine energy, but there's also this dark feminine, which is the destructive releasing, banishing, um, setting boundaries side of it.
0: So and they're both, note, you need both. You need both. <laughs> you need both. <laughs> so on that sense. note, Miss Maggie, how will you invite healing or healing and destruction into your show, into your week? Well this is good timing because while we
1: are filming or recording it's not it's not for when the podcast comes out but for the week that I'm going to have <laughs> it's good timing <laughs> because uh it is the waning crescent moon right now leading up to the new moon and so that is exactly when you want to think about just banishing everything you don't want quickly with that really powerful waning moon energy before setting the new intention for your next lunar cycle. And so you'll be listening to this a bit later than me saying this, dear listener, but you can still, you know, access that same energy as well. Um, so I'm going to set my intention for the new moon for healing and, um, that'll be my focus and leading up to the healing. I'm going to, you know, leave behind the, the unhealthy habits in preparation for
0: a more healthy cycle. What are you going to do? We've already had the Witch's New Year at Samhain, but we are coming into the secular New Year. Um, granted, that's a few weeks away, but I think this idea well, Yule's of... coming too, which is a... Yule as well, yes. Um, rebirth of the sun. So we're definitely in that end-of-the-year feeling of leaving behind what was and opening ourselves up to what w- could be, what will be, you know, the whole New Year's rev- resolutions thing. And I think, so while I don't really have a specific about what I want to destroy and then heal, I think that I just want to be open and allow Sekhmet in to it because it mentioned that she'll come to your to you in your dreams to let you know what you need so I think I'm just going to be open to welcoming her in and showing me what things I can leave behind as I step forward into this new year so for those of you who would
1: like to share with us what you are healing and destroying Uh, just let us know by going to witchwanderer.com and you can answer that question as well. And that is all we have for you this week. We have talked about the nine of wands at the top of the show and we learned about Anna's seed. We also shared 10 tips for being a witch without cultural appropriation. And just keep in mind that these are just some basic guidelines to help you get started on your path. But additionally, maintaining an anti-racist, anti-colonialist witchcraft practice is a lifelong commitment. It takes intentional work every day.
0: And remember that no group is a monolith, so individuals of the same culture can have a vastly different opinions. But keep all of this advice in mind so that your spiritual practice can remain respectful and fulfilling. So Next week, we will
1: be looking at the Ten of Wands as our card of the week. So throughout the week, we'll be thinking about a time when this energy showed up in our lives. Um, and this card depicts somebody holding a very heavy burden, 10 sticks on their back. And so it's so, it's that idea of just like an uphill struggle. Um, you know, grandpas always say like, when I was your age, I used to walk both directions uphill in the snow. And to make it, you know, to talk about that really, the hardship they experienced and how easy kids have it today. And that's (laughs) kind of the energy of this card. It's like, things are very hard. (laughs) I'm struggling. And it's also about taking on um, too much responsibility. You know, the idea of carrying too many grocery bags from the car instead of coming back for a second trip. It's like, I'm going to get all of them in one load. So that's kind of what we're going to be looking for. And if you have a story about the 10 of wands, feel free to share it with us as a voicemail. Just send an email, a voicemail to we listen at talkwitchcraft.com.
0: You can find out more about this episode by going to mumblesandthings.com slash blog slash 048. And join us next week when we talk about understanding your spiritual beliefs.
1: Make sure that you are subscribed so that you are notified about each new episode. I just looked at our Spotify wrapped uh, statistics because this is the season when they have that. And our followers went up 208% this year. So yay! that's exciting. Thank you,
0: listeners. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and to help other witches find the show as well so we can continue to grow and show up in other people's feeds, leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: You can also find us on Instagram at Mumbles and Things. If you have any other tips to add, tell us about it in the Talk Witchcraft Forum in Mumble's Academy community. And don't forget to share this episode with your witchy friends and followers. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Goodbye. We're we doing star in this.